0: A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to FanRollDice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. tanya ransom creator and executive producer of nightlight a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by black creatives from all over the world this week's story features an amazingly creative take on hellhounds and ancestry to create a captivating tale that you won't soon forget this story was originally published in black magic women terrifying tales by scary sisters our last episode featured a tale from the same anthology so you should definitely check it out before we get to the story, just a reminder that all episodes are brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. We have a ton of new supporters to thank this week. Deanna, Gage, L, Anna, Scare You to Sleep, Eliza, Kate, Essie, Megan, Ania, Caitlin, Brandy, Shannon, Michael, The Ghost Story Guys, Mike, Dante H, Erica, Jay, Bro Stephanie, which is a great name, by the way, Keith, Diamond, Janik, Risa, Meg, Tafira, Escape artists Annie, GP, Samson, Melissa, Dante S., Shauna, Camille, Prince, Roz, Audra, Natalie, and Walt. And a very special thank you to Leah, who pledged support at demon status for $50 a month. I am blown away by all the support that we've received in the last couple of weeks. You all have my eternal gratitude. Again, Nightlight is 100% listener supported, so we need your help to keep bringing you new episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout out on the podcast. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Tango of a Telltale Heart by Sumiko Salson, narrated by Sheree Stewart.
1: The sun dipping down below the horizon sent shocks of scarlet, tangerine, and crimson over the surface of Stowe Lake. One leg of my woolen tights had been shredded. Blood oozed out of the gash in my calf and spread over the hem of my cotton Arawak African print dress. A florid of blood spread over my knee. I winced as I dragged my injured leg behind me. Blood. It runs through our veins, telling a story more nuanced than any report or record Ancestry.com can provide. Inheritance. What we relay in our oral histories doesn't include all of those skeletons hiding in dank corners of the musty closet we call our family tree. Mine? Almost every African American descended from a slave is also the progeny of a slave owner. My family's no exception. My blood, strongly scented of iron and fear, might attract the leashed dogs that belonged to the Stowe Lake Killer if I didn't focus. Five girls disappeared before me, three of them in the past month. The news said he was escalating. Only one girl escaped so far. I hoped the second one would be me. My breath grew labored from panic and walking. Afraid I'd wear myself out, I found shelter against the mossy trunk of a low-slung, widespread tree. A leather strap held a drum in place over my shoulder. I lifted it over my neck and set it down for a pillow. My drum is part of my family inheritance. The drumhead is made of untreated rawhide bound with thongs to the red-brown hardwood body. As a child, my tiny calloused hands learned to pound out rhythm on it. My grandfather left it to me when he died. I could barely hear the soft stir of katydids over my pounding heart. In the distance, I heard the barking of his dogs the steady whistle of the breeze against the branches, and the thrashing of his feet in the underbrush. All of these sounds created intersecting rhythm. What can I say about rhythm? Back in high school, I went to a presentation by the Maranatha Christian Youth Group. Maranatha was an Aramaic word that appeared in the New Testament exactly once, meaning our Lord has come or some such thing. I have no idea why they chose that particular name but we used to call them the Merry Nazis because they claimed that African drum beats in rock and roll music made it the devil's music. Allegedly, these beats were used for the worship of ancient gods. The entire rhythm section was in cahoots with the Antichrist. 4-4 rhythm was based on the human heartbeat, but these African rhythms focused on the downbeat, which was contrary to nature. I rolled my eyes at their discourse upon the unnatural rhythms of my black body. They'd decided there was some impurity in my blood, a summoning from deep within my body that called me to the drubbing beat on the dance floor. But how could it be unnatural? When Africa was our mother, every race found its genetic heritage in Africa. That was science fact, not fantasy. Theirs was the fantasy, that there was something evil in the very genetic makeup of me. If there was anything evil in me, I assure you it didn't come from Africa." It came from the blood of the oppressors, the plantation lords that ran through me. How did any African-American ever come to terms with the blood of the rapist white slave-owning sperm donors that ran through our veins along with that of our African mothers? Anything evil that came from me was part of white Christendom, not alien to it at all. Come out of the bushes, whore, the killer yelled, still out there searching for me. I'll find you. My dog can smell the stink of your sex. I cowered below the tree, applying wet leaves to my leg to mask the scent of blood. When I was done, I began to softly scratch the head of my drum. The sound echoed off the walls of the base, making comforting sounds in my ears to mask his evil voice. He hadn't gotten to me yet, and if I had anything to do with it, he wouldn't. Come protect me, ancestors from every side, I whispered caressing the drum with my fingers. Come protect me, ancestral spirits, from far and wide. The Stowe Lake killer didn't know what I knew. The drum was possessed of a dark magic, magic that wasn't African in the least, and the kind of mysticism one would be well-warned away from. Indeed, the ancestral spirit warned me against using the spells carved into the wooden kettle drum by Lacey Evans, an angry young slave girl. Delwyn Evans, Lacey's plantation lord father, was unaware of the lessons Lacey had learned at the hands of her half-sister Bryn. Perhaps if the man hadn't been evil to all of his daughters, slave and free alike, the young Welsh witch wouldn't have taught these arcane runes to her black half-sister. Then the taint wouldn't have come upon the drum, and the temptation wouldn't be upon me, the temptation to invoke what should never be called upon. But extreme times called for extreme measures. The Stow Lake Killer was a predator. But so was the spirit that lived in my drum. How did the drum grow in power? It depends on who you ask. Those who vilify you sometimes have the power to focus their wicked minds on everyday objects. How many generations had it taken to curse the drum? The drum in question was a small djembe, a type of kettle drum from West Africa. Rumor has it that it arrived with my ancestor when they dragged him here in chains from Mali 200 years ago. My grandfather didn't think the curse comes from our African blood. He said it came from the Welsh plantation owners who danced in and out of our bloodline every time they forced one of our mothers to lie with them. He said it came from the jealous wives who beat senselessly slave girls who were sometimes their cousins or half-sisters. The curse was born of blood, begetting blood. And kin betraying kin. It was from fathers flaying the flesh from the backs of daughters and sons who were born into slavery. That's why the drum hated men like the Stow Lake Killer in particular. He preyed on girls like me. Nubile young college girls who hung around the drum circle smoking marijuana with the good folks who made music there. Girls like us gathered around the drum circle at Golden Gate Park on the weekends. Hippie Hill had a co-ed multicultural vibe and was a definite all-ages sort of gathering. Some of the girls around the circle are homeless. Not me. I attend the University of California, San Francisco, where I learned to pound out the rhythm of the flesh in my dorm room two years ago. A free spirit with a dust cloud of tightly curled dark hair running wild and ungreased and untamed most days. Today, I wore Afro puffs with a jewel-encrusted turquoise butterfly hair clip off to one side. I wore flowing gowns of African kinte cloth or Jamaican colors, proudly attesting to my heritage. But my loose-fitting dresses were knee-length, and I wore them over tights and knit stockings with oxblood dark martins. I lifted the drum and carefully placed it between my shoes. One leather-clad foot cradled either side of it. There was always a price for invoking the spirit that lived within, but I felt I had no choice. My desperate situation fortified my resolve. Without hesitation, I pounded on the rough skin of the djembe. My voice rose over the beat, a soft moan crying out to my ancestors. I heard a bang in the distance. The man's dog cried out in kind. Slowly my head began to turn, neck ringing of its own accord. He sat beside me, dark as pitch, not enclosed in, but composed of shadow. My hands moved in time with an earthly beat, countered the rhythm of my heart. Sound rose in pulsing intensity as the shadow beast solidified. The drumbeat rose to a crescendo beneath my furious hands. The dark hound began to howl. Red eyes pierced the gray mist of the dusk. He was Kunanun. Welsh hound of the hunt. Christians called them hellhounds. I believe that their superstitions were what cast the hounds of the hunt as villainous. What did they know? It seemed the maranatha and their ilk feel as certain of my Welsh blood's demonic taint as they were of the African. Perhaps this is why I am no Christian. The palms of my hands began to ache, but I continued, pressing forward with the kinetic sound of the dance. A grey-hooded figure appeared in the mist beside the hound. She stepped forward and lowered her hood so I could see her face. It was my friend, Marigold. She'd been dead for two weeks now. She winked, closing one of her glinting ruby eyes. Then she grinned, her teeth long and sharp as the tines of an iron fork. You are the one who will be found, I bellowed at the man. "Kunanun will find you. Or perhaps you will find me, but it won't help you. I pounded into the djembe until his brothers appeared, more hounds of the hunt. With each new dog appeared a woman, one of those cut short in her life by the so-late killer. The dogs were escorts of the dead, but tonight they appeared as vengeful spirits. When I looked down at the drum, my hands were bleeding. I winced when I looked at it. Blood fed the instrument, my blood and the blood of many of my ancestors soaked into the rawhide head. Once all of the women had arrived, he appeared. An Azawak. Pale beige, long and thin as a greyhound or a whippet. He was an African hunting dog. The Azawak always appeared last. He sat directly across from me, fixing me with a sad stare. How can you betray your ancestors, he seemed to say. The Azawak was dismayed by my decision to use the white man's magic against him. But I was Welsh, and the dogs that ran with Hearn would protect me. It was like my grandfather told me when I was a girl, back in 1814. Delwyn Evans had no idea that the blood that ran through his illegitimate daughter's veins carried magic when he set out to rape her as he had raped her slave mother Sally and her sister Brynn. Lacey called upon the old spirits to protect her and avenge her mother's death at her father's abusive hands. She called them with this drum, the same drum I played on Hippie Hill. My name isn't Lacey. Lacey. It's Matilda. On nights like this, it seems to matter more. You aren't scaring nobody with your drum, girl. The man yelled, running towards me. I heard him crash through the underbrush. Branches snapped under his feet, drawing closer. My eyes began to roll into the back of my head. Martinos began to take over. They call her Matilda of the night. She controls the beasts known as Kun Mame, the hounds of hell. What is it like to be possessed, you ask? Her pale blue fingers sliding under my brown skin, keeping time with the omnipresent drumbeat. She was here to drive the dead women to Anun, the other world. It was madness to play with fairy folk, my father would have said. He was a minister, true to the Christian world that abhors such things. There was always a price to pay. But what were a few wandering souls? Who was to say that a noon is worse than whatever afterlife they were headed to? My father would have said I was damning them. I saw it differently. I was giving them the opportunity for vengeance. My great grandfather shook his head once more. He sat beside his familiar, the Azawak. You are deceived, child, he cautioned. It isn't just the Christians that abhor the wickedness you do. Let those girls' spirits go free. Don't bow to the spirit possessing you. You are worse than the man who murdered them right now. Not now, old man. I rebuked him, relaxing my body to allow the invading spirit to take me over completely. Only Matilda of the night could help them. Matilda's Sarah Evans was useless. Sacrifices had to be made. I gave myself over to the spirit. My fingers went cold as Martinos took over completely. I felt as if I were someone else, tormenting the drum with bleeding fingers and stress-fractured nails. I do not fear you. I howled with Malthenos, giving myself over fully to the possessing entity. You will fear me! I screeched and tittered, cheering the dogs on in their mission. Annihilation would come for the man first. Next, the apparitions avenged, and in the end, possibly me. But what was any of that to me at this point? I was beyond caring. My father and grandfather alike warned me that playing with the spirit put me at risk. One day she would take me over entirely, and consuming my flesh, and leave nothing but a dried husk, my spirit would be bound to her forever. You are the one who's scared, the Stow Lake killer screamed, pulling up in front of the bushes. He yanked a tree branch to one side and slapped me hard, knocking me away from my drum. My eyes were white. Irises folded back under my lids first, then deeper in my head, where they go in trances. I could see him through other means. I grinned. My skull flashing pale blue through my dark skin. The edges of my lips were covered in wild, frothing foam like a rabid dog. With a hoarse whisper, I commanded. See them? See? What the hell? The killer yelped, finally able to view the hounds and the lost women. You killed me, Mary accused, pointing one finger at him. Her tongue lulled to one side of her torn mouth. Needle-sharp teeth completed her sardonic smile. She stroked the drooling hellhound who heeled at her side. Janet, another of the dead, followed suit. Murderer, she hissed, lifting an accusing digit. Each of the other women in turn accused him. Afterwards, Mary gave a swift swat to the haunches of the dog beside her. Each of the other women did the same. The hounds of hell went sailing at the rapist, ravening teeth tearing into his calves as he fled. You belong to the Fe now, Malchinos cackled, causing me to rise and lumber forth towards my friend. The drum fell down into the moist grass below. The Azawak ran over to its side and curled around the jembe, whimpering. Through the back of my head, I could see his dejected eyes observing in shame as I opened my mouth. Mary stepped back. What are you doing, Matilda? The hounds do my bidding, Marlinos screamed. Matilda has not to do with their power, yet she struck a deal for you. Vengeance is sweet, is it not? I don't need revenge, Mary whispered slipping backward with her ghostly feet until the tree behind her interceded. She turned to one side, ready to sprint, but it was too late. My dislocated jaw stretched out like a snake's. Sharp, thorny teeth erupted from my aching gums. My strained mouth distended further until it covered the face of my deceased friend Mary. I swallowed her head whole. The other women, frozen, trembled in fear as they waited to be devoured. Behind me, the Azawak began his transformation. Martinos paused between bits of spectral flesh to eye him suspiciously. As for me, I could not speak. The African dog transmuted until I saw the image of a man who greatly resembled my grandfather behind me. As with every previous time, I must await his verdict. I told you not to do this, girl, the ancestral spirit chided. You owe a debt. Every time your debt is growing too great. You nag and chide like an old maiden aunt, I said. I know you mean well, but you have no idea how bad things have gotten around here. Not as bad as they will get if you tamper with that old Welsh magic, he said, shaking his head. Every African spirit attached to that drum. Couldn't cleanse the curse that Lacey Evans carved into the side of it with her daddy's blood and her dirty little bone knife. All we do is hold the wickedness in check, but how can your ancestral spirits protect you, will for one, when all you do is fight us? In the distance, I heard the Stow Lake killer scream as a hellhound snapped into his thigh. I could see everything now at once. What Malthinos saw. What the Azawak saw, and what the Kunanun saw. I grinned in spite of myself as the hounds tore into the buttocks of the fallen rapist. I could taste his blood on my tongue, warm his flesh in the mouths of the hungry dogs. Teeth tore into muscle, shredding tendons with ease. The lead dog dug into the meat of his eye with hungry jaws. The maw of Janet's dog was covered in gore. The piteous cries of the dying man brought no sympathy or thought of remorse in the dogs or myself. I did what was right, I told the Ancient One. I sought justice for these women. You condemn their souls, he rebutted. I have rescued you from your fate every time thus far, but this is growing too easy for you, Matilda. You don't know where their souls go, I argued. They may be safer with the fairy folk than to wherever you might relegate them. You see it for yourself then, he spoke with grave finality. You are not the only one who can use the drum, child. His hands began to pound at the drum. Sound rose in rolling, waves of thunder passing under my skin, mingling with my blood sound, altering the pace of my beating heart. Over his shoulder. A shadowy, cloaked figure appeared. This was a man I'd never seen before. But I knew him instantly. He was Aaron, King of Anun. It's time to go, Matilda, he said calmly. Your ancestors can't save you now. It was inevitable, I fear, the Azawak, told the wizened African elder at his side. Her grandfather shouldn't have let her touch that drum. I was about to refute him when a ghost appeared at my side, tattered and bloody by his recent encounter with the hellhounds. It was the Stowe Lake Killer. A chill came over me. Could what I have done possibly have been so bad that I must accompany this man to the afterlife? Aaron waved his hands and the sky before him began to crumble. Cool sweat dried against my naked arms. A frozen grin stuck on my shock-worn face. Dimensions collapsed upon each other, and in a moment, was separated from me. Her mouth stretched over the Stow Lake killer, and she engulfed him as a snake would a feeder rat. I stood immobile, waiting to be devoured. A moment, please. A new voice spoke from behind the Azawak. She was a young black woman in a wide-brimmed russet bonnet, a cream-colored apron over her simple brown frock. I recognized her from an ancient Siena photograph my grandfather used to carry. Lacey, Aaron hissed. Don't you think it's a bit of a late hour for your sudden arrival? Don't you mean our arrival? Lacey countered, gesturing towards the blank space beside her. I looked down suddenly. Twin footprints were visible in the damp grass. A ghostly apparition formed in the fog. As she slowly solidified, I began to notice a striking resemblance between the flaxen hair, peaches and cream complexioned young woman standing beside her in a light green cotton Victorian schoolteacher's dress. Bryn, Aron moaned, holding his head as though he were suddenly throbbing with a migraine headache. Haven't you caused enough trouble? Bryn looked at her sister and shook her head. Neither of them spoke a word to him. Instead, they ran behind me and grabbed me, each pinning one of my arms to her side while they walloped me across the back with incredible strength. I'm afraid you've eaten something that doesn't agree with you, Lacey snarled, hitting me over and over again between my shoulder blades until I began to cough. Bryn joined her, smashing the flat of her palm into either of my sides until I began to vomit. The sisters beat my body until I crumbled to the ground. It was difficult to breathe. The taste of cold, swampy water tore at my throat. A puddle of moist ectoplasm and fetid lake water piled on the ground in front of me. Slowly, the last of the girls, Janet, appeared in a damp pile at my feet. Her hair, dark and slimy, was clotted with bits of vomit and congealing fat. They all poured out one by one until at last my friend Mary emerged as a baby through the birth canal. My distended jaw and torn throat creating a birth passage. My torn stomach, a womb. My ancestors stood there, with each of the newly rebirthed women between them. Raw and covered in spectral substance the way a newborn is covered in amniotic fluid. Angry, Lacy snatched the drum from my hands and tossed it to Aaron. "'They aren't yours! Leave!' she screamed. "'Take your wicked spells with you, demon!' "'Take your accursed drum and be gone,' Bryn joined in, hissing at the god. "'How can you rebuke a god?' I howled, clutching my torn fingers over my aching belly as I fell into the putrid pile of fluid at my feet. Mary and Janet stood over me, casting down accusatory glances. "'Silly girl,' Lacey mumbled. Sending out a low whistle, she called as a walk to her side. "'I've sent my ancestor and my familiar to guide you,' But it's been a waste of time. You never listen. I warned her, the Azawat complained as Lacey stroked him between the ears. Tell your god to take his curse off my drum. The elder ordered Bryn, his voice soft and calm. You know you put it there, not your sister. Bryn's bright blue eyes widened. I did it to help her, she protested. It is no help, the old man replied. You can't have the drum I made, Aaron. You can't have this wayward child. You can't rob her into your hunt. Take your foul curse off my beautiful drum. Aaron shook his head. You can't unhex what is hexed. Best you teach your children not to play with cursed objects next time, old fool. He screamed, his raw voice soon joined by the screech and chatter of Martinos and the howling of the angry Coon Anun. Then go, Lacey ordered. Leave this place. Aaron looked at the drum briefly, then dropped it on the floor where he stood. Better one soul than none, he said. Come along, Martinos. Turning around he crossed over the vale into Anun, the hounds of hell following at his heel. Malfendos beside him with the tortured soul of the Stole Lake Killer, imprisoned in her gullet. I didn't expect Aaron to show up himself this time. I panted in excitement from where I lay in a pool of filth on the ground. You're lucky you're not in a noon now, Bryn chided. Fool, the elder hissed, looking away. I subdued the Stole Lake Killer. defended because of me he won't take another life yet you vilify me hypocrites you're not a hero janet spat you're just some asshole on a power trip you ate me mary screamed hysterically you fucking bitch you ate me you ate me she ran around in a circle agitated and temporarily unaware of her death Lacey evans rolled her eyes don't bother talking to her, she won't listen, she said. Grab the drum, won't you, Bryn? I lay on the ground, immobile, as Lacey and Bryn Evans sat on the ground, carving Adam only knew what on the drum. It was freezing outside, and the dew was settling upon my frozen shoulders and vomit-dampened clothing. I was sure I was catching a cold. Here you go, Lacey mumbled, throwing the drum down at my feet. You take that and you go on now. It won't perform any magic tricks for you anymore. Don't call me. I won't call you, Mary said, following Bryn and the Ancient One into the darkness. Janet saved her breath and flipped me the bird instead. I suppose I can't blame them for thinking the worst of me. Lacey and the Azawakh sat and stared at me, back facing the others as they walked away. An hour had passed since Bryn and the others had faded away into the mist, but Lacey and the Azawakh remained, staring. Once I was as stubborn as you are now, Lacey finally spoke. She waved her hand over me, releasing me from the suspended animation that held me for so long. It bought me nothing but pain. I hope one day you'll do better. Does your ancestor know? I asked her, carefully sitting up. That I ask Bryn to enchant the drum? Lacey whispered. That I'm as much to blame for the taint on this drum as my white sister. He doesn't know because he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know what we've become. Like them, I agreed. We've become like them. If you knew that much, you should take your lesson to heart. Don't show up here wasting my time again, Lacey screamed. Then she stomped off into the fog and disappeared behind her sister. She seemed as much a child as I did. The ancient wise woman with her wise words repeated so many times they became empty. The Lake killer's body was found the day after. Within days, the police matched his fingerprints with those found on the corpses of Mary Wharton and Janet Goldman. They found him in the database. A petty thug with a history of domestic violence and a rape accusation named Robert Jones, of all innocuous and nondescript things. The paper said he was killed by an unidentified victim. They begged her to come to the police and turn herself in. You and I both know I never did. They talked for years about how his own dogs tore apart his body. The dogs were never found, they say. They probably wandered off into the park somewhere. They might be dangerous. The girl who killed him, she might be dangerous. I might be dangerous, but I've never killed another man. It's been 20 years since that day in the park. I can't say if I've become wiser. I'm older, certainly. I spit out platitudes with the best of them. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Violence begets violence. I sit in the drum circle and pound on an instrument that has been bound specifically to prevent me from doing any magic with it. From time to time, I reflect upon the writing and think about the night my ancestors showed up to save my immortal soul. Over the past 20 years, many men like Robert Jones have emerged. Every time one of them does... I wonder, what might I do if I still have the drum? Then Janet Goldman's final words come to me once more. You're not a hero. You're just some asshole on a power trip. And I've decided by now that she was probably right.
0: Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy stories in their ears every other week. If you want new episodes every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com nightlightpod and supporting this podcast. You can also make a donation via PayPal at paypal.me nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at nightlightpod or like us on Facebook at nightlightpod. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Especially since some racists want to leave us one-star reviews, because who cares about black writing, right? Audio production for this episode by me, Tanya Ransom. You can find me online at Miss Defying. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. In 2013, archaeologists dug up the bones of a giant dog buried under less than two feet of soil in Lyston Abbey, Suffolk. They believe the dog weighed about 200 pounds and was seven feet tall on its hind legs. England has more hellhound lore than any other country in the world, and the bones of this dog dating back to medieval times could very well have sparked some of those stories. I don't know about you, but if I saw a dog that big, I might be inclined to believe it was supernatural and maybe had even appeared to herald my death, as most hellhounds are believed to do. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.